Good morning. Nice to see you all. Yeah, I am Ruth, and um, if I haven't met you um, yet, I hopefully get a chance to meet you after the meeting. Um, I'm a member here and normally come to the 11 o'clock, so lots of familiar faces. Great to see you. Um, so it's my privilege to be continuing our series, When Jesus Met, and over the past few weeks, we've had the joy of seeing Jesus encountering different people um, from such different backgrounds and in different situations, and they always get much more than they bargain for when they encounter Jesus. Um, And that's very much the same for us this morning. So we're going to be reading from chapter 5. The passage that we're looking at is from verse 24 onwards. But I'm just going to read from a little bit before that from verse 21. So Mark chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched my garments? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, and be healed of your disease. So we meet Jesus in this passage on his way on an important errand. He has been called by an important guy, Jairus. Now, you might be wondering what happens to him and his daughter. Well, you'll have to wait until next week to find that out. But needless to say, this man is a man of great honour. He's a synagogue ruler. Perhaps was maybe a little bit more wealthy than the rest of them. He was an important man. A man who people would have paid respect to. Well esteemed at parties invited to all the important events. And by contrast, this woman is a woman of shame. She is a woman in a culture where women were perhaps more second-class citizens. She's poor. She spent all of her wealth on trying to get well. And she's ill. She's got a terrible disease. But it's not just a terrible disease. It's actually something that puts her in a position of shame. It makes her unclean. Now, we won't go into too many gynecological details, because I know that's going to be very painful for at least half of the congregation. However, rest assured. Um, But it's worth knowing that in this time, in Jesus' time, the temple and the place where God's people went to worship was a place that you could only go if you were ceremonially clean. And if you'd been bleeding, you had to wait seven days after that time before you were clean and able to go and join the people in worshipping God. Now, this woman had been bleeding for 12 years. 
She had been ceremonially unclean for all that time. She was not only poor, insignificant, and ill. She was unclean and isolated from the people of God. Not only that, but worse than that, she would make anyone else unclean that she came into contact with. Even being in this crowd was really should have been out of limits for her, because everyone she touched became unclean by association. Jairus, a man of great honour, and this woman, a woman of great shame. Now, shame and honour isn't something we talk a lot about in our um, culture. However, I got to understand a little bit more of a culture similar to the one this passage comes from when I spent some time living in Central Asia, in Tajikistan, and discovered what the hilarious side to um, this shame and honour dynamic can look like. Now, as a woman um, there, we often went to lots and lots of parties, weddings, all those sort of um, gatherings. They were a regular feature of my week. And you would often turn up to these places. And initially, in the first few months, because I was a a strange-looking foreigner, I would be honoured and maybe sat in a place of honour as they got used to me. But as I got into the culture and into the language and started to get accepted by them more, I also got accepted into this shame-honour dynamic, which then meant that I had a different place at the table. This time, when I was ushered in, I was given um, not the, the, the top seat, not the ones after, but going down more or less from age onwards, I would be trickled down right until you reach the young, married, unmarried, and no children end of the pile. Only the children kind of playing around at the end were any lower. And that was my place, and that was fine. But... It was funny to to find yourself in a situation of shame and honour. Everyone knew very clearly who was important, who had the important job. If you weren't sure, it would be made very clear to you by where they were seated if they came in after you. Also, there was a very, very good rigour at keeping people in check and in line with that. So if you didn't understand the etiquette, someone would sort you out. As I discovered when a rather grumpy lady thrust an apple and a knife at me and reprimanded me sharply for not having peeled some fruit for my older friends. How dare I? Um, These older friends were also English and they found it hilarious to bring this up at every opportunity for the next few months. Um, I no longer peel fruit for them. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I refuse. (laughs) But this was the sort of dynamic that was going on. Everyone would have been aware of the importance of Jairus. Everyone, if they had recognised her beneath her cloak, would have known exactly who she was and her position in society. We can kind of think that that maybe only applies to this scenario, though. Maybe that's just for cultures like Jesus or cultures like the one I visited. But actually, shame is a dynamic that we also experience very really in our own lives. It might not be on such a society level, but we also know the stigma of maybe having illness. Perhaps it's it's those things that we feel that we have to hide, those things that society says are not okay. Maybe it's having a lack of qualifications. Maybe it's some embarrassing disease. Maybe it's some sin that's been done against us. Maybe it's feeling like a fraud, feeling like if anybody knew what I was really like at church, at work, as a parent, 
if they really knew that I can't do this, what would they say? It's that feeling that makes you want to hide. It's the feeling that says, if they knew X, Y, or Z, they would reject me. I would no longer be accepted. And by default, then, shame is hidden, and shame isolates us. It keeps us out of genuine connection with people. It keeps us out of real relationship with people. It causes us to hide. We fear being exposed, and yet we long to be accepted and to be known. And this really came home to me um, recently as I kept on coming across um, the same song. Now, has anyone, by way of hands, uh, watched the film The Greatest Showman? Familiar? Has anyone got bored of people telling them about The Greatest Showman? Hands? Yeah, even more. <laughs> it is a good film, in my personal opinion. However, it's, the premise is that there are a group of society's misfits, those who are in shame, and they are gathered together to form a circus. But they sing this song, and it's quite telling in terms of describing the shame that people are in. But the popularity of this song has gone viral. It's sung by um, schools all over the country. It regularly pops up on all sorts of different places. It's performed all over. Something about this really resonates with us. And this is what it says. I am not a stranger to the dark. Hide away, they say because we don't want your broken parts. I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say. No one will love you as you are. But I won't let them break me down to dust. I know that there's a place for us, for we are glorious. There's a deep, deep longing to be seen and to be accepted. Yet there's a deep recognition and fear of people seeing who we really are and of seeing our shame. Because shame makes us hide. But this is good news for us in this passage because Jesus was on his way to visit the house of an honoured man. And he takes time, critical time, and care to stop and to minister to, to meet with, to connect with a woman in such shame of such insignificance. And that's the same for you and me. I don't know whether you came in here feeling like it was all together, or maybe feeling a little bit insignificant. Maybe you're aware of shame in your own life that makes you feel small. This is good news for us, because Jesus sees you in the crowd. He picks you out. He wants to connect with you. And that makes me very hopeful about what comes next. So here is the woman, ashamed, covered, sneaking through the crowd, just thinking, if I can only touch his cloak, I will be well. She pushes past people, making them ceremonially unclean, as she does, and finally reaches out to his garment. And as she touches it, she feels immediately in her body that she is healed. That is exactly what she came from. It all went as she had hoped until Jesus' reaction. You see, Jesus isn't kind of just walking through the cloud, kind of sprinkling healings as he goes. Um, he is determined to find out who has touched him. 
He could have, maybe more discreetly, just turned, seen who it was, used his knowledge, smiled at her, and moved on. Given her that little bit of recognition that she was seen, but not made a big fuss. But he doesn't do that. This was surely her worst nightmare. Shame makes us want to hide, but Jesus is about to expose her, isn't he? Well, actually, he's not. He's not about to expose her shame. He's about to reveal the fact that he has not only healed her, but that he has made her clean. You see, if you think about it, she was still, according to the temple law, she was still unclean. Seven days she was supposed to wait after finishing bleeding before she could be accepted and seen as clean. Yet Jesus starts this conversation with her publicly in front of the whole crowd, revealing the fact that she is amongst them, implying that she is okay, implying that she can be connected with again, applying that she can be touched and touch without making anyone unclean. How can Jesus do that? Well, it kind of comes down to the fact that all those temple rules, all those temple washings and cleansings, they weren't the end game. They were a pointer. They were a pointer to the fact that we cannot come before a holy God unclean. But the pointer was to somebody who would come and would make it possible for us to be washed clean completely and able to freely come into his presence. They were appointed to Jesus. This is amazing. She has literally reached out and touched the only person walking on that earth who could make her completely clean. In that moment, she is made totally clean by Jesus. But you might think, Well, how is that even possible? How does Jesus really make her clean, make her acceptable? Well, we've been celebrating this morning the wonderful news that Jesus, after this passage, not long after, would go on the dark and difficult road to the cross, a place where he would take on the filthy rags of our sin and he would die a punishing death, taking the punishment that we deserved on our behalf, so that we didn't have to. But the amazing news that goes with that is it's not just our sin that he wore. It's not just our sin, but he wore our shame on the cross. Think about it. This was a Middle Eastern man, arrested, stripped naked, mocked, bruised, broken, hung on a tree to die as someone cursed by God. There is nothing more humiliating and shaming that you could imagine. And yet it says that Jesus scorned the shame on the cross. He took our shame. Those filthy rags of our sin also were the filthy rags of our shame. And when he died that death, he left them in the grave, rising to new life, so that he could, by his blood, cleanse clean what only he could make clean. And so that he could give us the righteous robes that were his. Pure, brilliant, white robes to cover our shame. Jesus wasn't exposing her He was revealing to everyone that she was no longer unclean. 
Not only that, but honouring her for her faith in believing that he was the one, the only one who could do it. So that is staggering news. But again, you might wonder, is that just for the time when Jesus was walking the earth? Was that just for people who could physically touch him? Or is that for now? Well, my story is that that is 100% for now. Some years back, I um, did the intern year at church. And as part of that, we were sent on some training down in Bedford. And I did something that I'm sure um, all of you may be familiar with. You're sat listening to some uh, preaching from the Bible. And this particular person was speaking from Ephesians. And he was talking about how we were a workmanship and a masterpiece. And I sat there with my um, nice Christian smile on my face, nodding every now and then. I am listening. I am listening. I am listening. And inside, I was livid. I was absolutely seething mad. How dare you tell me that I am a masterpiece? How dare you? How dare you say that I am a workmanship? You don't know anything about my life. You don't know what I've gone through. How dare you stand there and tell me I'm beautiful? You haven't got a clue. You see, as those truths were being preached to me, they were hitting against a wall of shame. See, some decades before, I had gone through some abuse and some trauma that had left me with a wall of pain and shame in my heart. And that truth of God's love that I am delighted in, a workmanship, was hitting against that. I just didn't dare believe it. It couldn't be true. Could it? And that evening, we had um, some ministry time. And I remember, in a place of such brokenness, just very similar to the woman in that story, stood in a ministry time, in a crowd, not having shared an iota with anyone else. In my heart, I snuck up to Jesus. In my heart, I reached out to him. And something broke in me. The shame and the pain and the wall that I thought could never be moved crumbled into dust as his love, for the first time, really penetrated my heart. As his power and his healing came and reached places that I didn't think it would be possible to be healed. See, my story is that this is true. This is actually true. This is not just a story for then. This is a now story. His spirit is just as powerful today as it was here when that woman reached out and touched. And my testimony is that I am a workmanship, that he can take the most difficult and darkest and most broken threads of our life and he can weave them together with his love and with his power, and with his freedom, and with his truth, into something of such exquisite beauty that only in heaven will we fully see what he has done. That is the power 
of this Jesus. Not just then, but now. Not just for me, but for you. That is the power of our God. See, I, I, I love this song. The words are so true about the pain of hiding away and the fact that shame tells us to run. And it's so right when it says that we are glorious because we are made to be a workmanship, a masterpiece of God. And yet, it doesn't tell the full story. You see, the chorus goes on to say, when the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood, I'm going to drown them out. I'm brave, I'm bruised, I'm who I'm meant to be. This is me. I'm going to send a flood, I'm going to drown them out. Do you have a flood that can really drown out your shame? I did not have a flood that could drown out my shame, and I trust you, you did not have a flood for me that could drown out my shame. There is only one person who has a flood that can drown out our shame. And that is the flood that comes from the cross. That is the love of a God who stepped down from heaven to be covered in our shame, to be freed so that we can be free of our shame. That is the only flood that can drown out your shame. That is the only flood that can seep into even those parts of your heart and your mind that you might have locked away even to yourself. There's only one flood that can drown out our shame. And he's here today. With his love and with his compassion and with his hope and with his freedom. And that isn't even the best of it. It gets even better. You see, listen to how Jesus speaks to her. And he said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. He calls her daughter. The high king of heaven calls this insignificant, shamed woman a daughter. See, the end game of all this isn't just that we could be wonderfully healed, wonderfully cleansed clean, wonderfully made shame-free. It doesn't even stop there. The point is, the end game is that he wanted us as his children. He's made us to be his children, his sons and his daughters. That's what we're designed for. That is the longing that we have. To be known fully, loved perfectly, accepted. And that is what he offers her. That is what he has for her. And it's what he has for us. You see, sadly, we're still living in a broken world. We're still living in a world where there is sin and there is pain and there are taunts. Shame is still something we will have to deal with on a daily basis. But if we learn to walk in the good of this, we walk as children of the living God. The one with the most honour in all the cosmos has said that he knows you, loves you, knows everything about you, covers all your shame and delights and accepts you. I no longer have to worry if you're going to accept or reject me because he accepts me. The freedom that we can find in that is matchless. 
The joy that we can have in that is matchless. And do you know what? It transforms everything. It means that we don't have to fear being exposed anymore. We can be courageously vulnerable with one another because he has declared his love for us. And we can rest in the joy of being sons and daughters of the king. I'm going to invite the band up. Our story today is a story of a woman who wanted to be healed, who met a God who wanted her. Our story is of one who can heal our diseases, who can cleanse our shame, who can cover us when we feel exposed. It's a story of one who can restore us to relationships, most of all, it's a story of one who loves you as a father and who welcomes you into being a son and daughter honoured by the king.